Welcome to Fresh Cut Grass, light conversation with turf grass professionals from across the turf industry, with your hosts, Jeff Fowler and Tanner DelVal. Hello and welcome to Fresh Cut Grass, a podcast for sports turf manager and turf professionals. I'm Jeff Fowler and I'll be one of your hosts today. With me is Tanner Del Val, extension educator in the eastern side of Pennsylvania. Our special guest today is Evan Fowler. Evan's coming to us from Green Valley Turf in Platteville, Colorado. Yes, there is some similarities in our last name, um, but we won't, re- we won't divulge that until a little later on. So um, Tanner, always good to have you with me. Absolutely, glad to be here and uh, definitely looking forward to this discussion today. Um, so Evan is the farm superintendent for Green Valley Turf um, located in Platteville, Colorado. Evan, welcome to the show today. And um, why don't you give us a little bit uh, about the farm um, that you're located on in Colorado? Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for having me first and foremost. Uh, Pleasure is all mine. Um, yeah. So Green Valley Turf, we're in Platteville, Colorado. We're a uh, full service sod farm. We have a retail space south of Denver, and we also have a retail space on our, on our farm in Platteville. Um, we do have an install crew that runs around and not only does full service installs of sod for and soil prep for homeowners, but we also have um, a sports and golf side to that as well, where we, we do do a lot of, a lot of work on um, golf courses and sports fields. Um, we're a thousand, just about a thousand acres of land in total. Um, we usually have a rotation of about 500 acres of sod. Um, that varies from everything, cool season, warm season. We got bluegrass, um, turf type tall fescue, buffalo grass, we're dabbling with Bermuda. We've got some bent grass. Um, you name it, we do it. Preferably the green kind, right? Indeed. Indeed. So um, we um, are, are really excited about this conversation um, because one of the things that they do at Green Valley, um, in addition to growing residential sod and sports turf, um, in the traditional native soil environment, they also grow sports turf and golf turf on plastic, um, which is not a new concept, but it is um, slowly been catching on over the last four or five years. Um, people have been, some people have been doing it. Um, so um, I happen to have been on the farm a couple of times um, and, and have seen the plastic. Um, it's really interesting um, to, to see how this stuff grows on plastic. So, Evan, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, why you do it on plastic um, and, and how you get started in the, the, the growing of it? Definitely, definitely. So grass on plastic isn't, um, like you said, it isn't, it isn't new. Um, a little more new to sports turf. So in the late nineties, uh, Green Valley, Joe Wilkins, the owner first started getting into growing grass on plastic with bent grass exclusively for some local higher end golf courses, looking to match their um, USGA sand profile with 
of their sod. And that's um, something that historically has been done either washing sod or um, yeah, now we're, now we're getting into the more, the more fun stuff and, and growing that on plastic and in a, in a sand profile that matches the destination of that sod. So um, we're doing a USGA mix for um, our bank grass. And then there's an athletic field mix um, just, just off of those specs, a little more coarse sand for, um, for sports turf applications where we're growing bluegrass on plastic with the same, um, the same techniques to, to give a little bit more background on that. Um, we're growing it exclusively in the sand from seed. So um, it's not something that we're taking traditionally harvest sod and then transferring it onto plastic, but we are, we're establishing it from seed. So there is no foreign soil type in that. It is exclusively the sand in which we seed into. Yeah. So, so one of the things um, exactly, just what you just said is one of the interesting things is that we have no water barriers now, right? Um, our, our infiltration of water um, can go seamlessly from the, the, the root zone mix, um, you know, into our, into our sand mix. Um, and we don't have that water barrier. Right. Um, That's the, the water, the drainage is definitely the biggest thing, obviously with drainage, we, you know, we can move air as well. So it's, um, it's, it's been a real challenge in certain parts of the country, particularly in the Midwest where, um, laying that traditional native soil on top of a sand based root zone, um, really it's, it's, kind of capped it and yeah nutrients don't move water doesn't move um therefore obviously we're sealed off and air isn't getting through sometimes obviously that um thicker native soil type depending on where you're at or where the farm's at that's um that's kind of been been the real reason as to why we're we're moving towards growing this stuff um especially at the pro level just the, the turnover time um after events it just isn't quick enough to grow in and establish that um that native sod where we take that whole root system off um, and lay it back down on plastic, all of that system um, transports with the sod. It all goes to that site. Um, yeah, there's no transplant shock necessarily either. So the, the immediate turnover factor of it's also a big part of why the instant play aspect of it, if you will, is really the, another big part of why we're growing it that way. How, how is this, this sod on plastic harvested? Is it any different yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely different. There's no, um, we always joke around and say, we don't cut grass on fly. We don't cut that sod. Um, we just roll it up. It is truthfully, um, basically if you can imagine two pizza cutters running along the sides, making our edges. Now with that too, we're able to do some pretty, uh, pretty unique and custom cuts as well. Um, not all, not all applications demand a two foot wide or a four foot wide roll. Let's say we're, you know, we've got an 18 inch spot, um, in front of first base for the cutout. That's a little, um, little screwed up. We're going to do something custom for that. Um, not necessarily always, but this is something we can do with the way that that's harvested. There is no, um, there is no limitations to the size, obviously weight and handling is an issue, but, um, we can roll up a six foot by six foot piece, um, and put that down in a gold mouth where there's no seams or anything like that. Um, you're dealing with. What type of plastic is underneath it? Is that coming up with the material or no, when you roll it up? It's a single use um, deal. It's just a, um, a couple mil plastic that goes down. Um, and then that is essentially is disposing, but it, um, it tries to roll up a little bit with the, with the sod itself, but we, we keep it off so that it's just the, just the sod and sand. So um, you and I have had this discussion a number of times um, one of the most valuable resources um, that we take for granted here in the East that 
um, comes into play in sod production in the state of Colorado is that third element that they need, and that's water, right? I mean, water is prime time in the state of Colorado. Um, so, so do you think that um, you can grow sod on plastic for or with less water than you can, say, traditional sod on a native soil field? So um, unique to Colorado here, we're, it's, it's not necessarily a coin flip every time, but uh, generally speaking, it's a little, it is a little bit less water. Just um, our native soil is very sandy. So we, any, any, any drop of water there is never enough. It needs another drop. So we're kind of, it's kind of a constant, um, a constant irrigation game there where the stuff on plastic, you know, when it's, a year old and an inch thick, um, you know, it might need, it might need 10, 15 minutes of water a day, but that's, that might be it. Um, the water can retain a little bit more. We, we do grade the plot a little bit just to help move, um, surface water in the event of, of a big storm. We don't want it to turn into a bathtub on us. Um, so there is a little bit of a grade there, but that isn't, um, isn't enough to move just small amounts of water off. So we're able to retain a pretty good amount. And as that plant matures, and thatch begins to develop, it can just retain a lot more moisture. So early in the early game, it's you know, definitely a lot of uh, small spurts of water, just like any kind of establishment would, would require. But um, generally speaking, maybe just a little bit less. Yeah. With cool season. <clears throat> well, yeah. And you brought up a good point there, I guess. Sorry, Jeff. Do you want to go ahead? Oh, I was just going to say, um, speaking of cool season there, I was going to say, I guess it depends on species too. And uh and I guess how old the, the turf is, Yeah, I guess obviously at seeding, you probably have to do a little bit more uh, watering for sure. So what's the, I guess, can you talk about the species that you're growing on plastic and also the turnover? Like how yep. long does it take to turn that over in comparison to growing on native soil? Yep. So um, we do it with Kentucky bluegrass. Um, we have a four-way blend of uh, Bewitched, Hampton, Fullback, and Noble in that blend. Um and we also grow bent grass on the plastic as well. We, right now we're growing um, DX7 and T1 um, varieties there. But uh, the bent grass is, is a pretty quick process um, from start to finish. Um, I say start to finish. It can be ready in this amount of time. That doesn't necessarily we, mean that we move it in that amount of time. Um, you know, eight-month-old, eight six to eight-month-old bent grass on plastic um, is really happy and really harvests up very well. Um, it takes at least 18 months to be able to say the same thing about bluegrass on plastic. So um, that turnover there on, on, on blue is, is significantly longer. Um, I really like 24 months just to be super thorough. Um, you know, it definitely is filled in and pretty happy at a year, um, but to really mature and get to the thickness that we like, just, just a little bit thicker than an inch, um, that's, uh, that's about the timeline there. <clears throat> How thick is that profile uh, uh, on the plastic? For, um, for NFL use, we can go as thick as um, two inches there, which kind of limits us a little bit on um, how long and how big and heavy our rolls can be. Um, so we can have a few more seams if we start to get that thick, which isn't always desirable. But um, the nature of this stuff, it really doesn't matter um, how many seams are out there. You could lay two by four slabs of, of two inch thick grass and it would, um, it would play just just its rigidity and, and strength there. Um, but to, uh, to answer your question, I guess you're, you're asking me what, I'm sorry, the, um, 
the turnover time. Well, and then it's turn- well, you thickness. I'm sorry. Yes, the thickness. Yeah. So the bent grass there, um, the bent grass is much thinner. Uh, it's basically uh, we usually can take a picture of a quarter sitting on the side of the profile, and the quarter is a little bit thicker than the mowed turf um, to give a little bit of a of a visual there. And then traditionally, three quarters of an inch thick on the bluegrass is is really nice. We can get long rolls out of that, um, but really we start getting over 18 months old, we're, we're really getting to that one inch thickness um, just with thatch. It, it just really does thicken up itself a bit. So um, you, you talked at the beginning about um, acreage of the farm and 500 acres in production, total of a thousand acres where you're plowing disc and planting um, in the off seasons or in the, in the planning and harvest, you know, at the end of the harvesting season, how many acres of, of, of sod are we talking about on plastic for you? So that can, it obviously really can vary depending on the market. This has been a a challenging year to predict that Um, truthfully with the lack of, of other events in these venues outside of sports is a big driver in, in a lot of our, our mid season resodding anyway. So um, generally uh, a, a normal year we're, we're, prep to do at least at least three to five fields um, which generally is between 10 and you know 15 acres um, that's for the bluegrass the the, the bent grass game can be um, a little variant but we're 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 always you know, at least have a few acres there in production constantly so it's, it's a it's a fascinating process to to see um, and 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 be a part of um, I stay pretty connected to to the farm, and um, as I said earlier, um, there is a similarity in my name and our guest's name today. Um, that's because he calls me dad, um, and so I have stayed on top of the way this stuff grows pretty closely, um, and and it's um, fascinating in an environment where um, we typically think of sod and and take away taking away soil. Um, you know, um, and not replacing it, that there are places that are, um, you know, growing it on plastic where we never remove a, a, an ounce of soil um, in a 15-acre harvest uh, or in a 15-acre field of, of sod on plastic. So it's, it's um, really interesting. Evan, what about, um, you, you talked a little bit about um, the varieties you have on the farm. Um, what... Um, what, what a, where, where does your bread and butter come from on the farm? Where, you know, I mean, where, so we, what, do you, what do you rely on? We want to, you know, we talk a lot about this grass on plastic, but it truthfully takes um, the entire, the entire beast to run every aspect of what we're doing. Um, you know, we, we can, we can spend a lot of time and a lot of brain cells on grass on plastic. Um, but at the end of the day, we're still moving, um, five to 10 semi loads of pallets of, of, of commercial turf out of here. Um, now that's predominantly getting sold out of our, our retail location to wholesale um, customers, whether that's contractors um, that are installing home lawns or whether they're doing large commercial spaces, um, you name it, um, we're providing them grass. Uh, but our, our, our main, our main aspect is, is, is truly the homeowner and the residential side um, that uh, that market's really big here. There's a lot of growth, obviously, around the Denver area too, that we're, we're keeping up with. Um, but yeah, we, we do, we, we grow, we grow all heights. It's kind of funny. We have things, um, that are three inch over three inches tall, um, in, in native Buffalo grass to, um, yeah, down to, 
to uh, point to on Ben. So it's 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 really kind of um, overwhelming at times, but in a great way. Um, if you like turf, wow, we've got it all. So how about um, how far a distribution do you folks have? You know, what's your your network of do you, do you get out into like the West Coast or how far? Can you talk about? So that? Um, our main travel um, our main travel is with sports and, and some golf is to the Midwest. Um, the Missouri, Kansas, uh, St. Louis, Chicago, um, that, that belt there. And that can go all the way down South, especially with the bank grass too. That, that kind of travels into the Southern States more where the bluegrass is, is going a little more North. Um, and, and that's mainly with those pro sports, um, outside of the grass on plastic that's traveling the furthest, just because of its, um, unique demand. It is, um, it's really in the Colorado, um, front range, the Denver front range, uh, market. So your residential, your residential sod is yep. mostly going to the Denver front range. Yep. Yep. And we, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of golf here too. We do a, a ton of golf course work um, just locally. Um, whether that's, I mean, right now we're, we're pegging out to do a big um, 30 acre rough project here next month on a, a local um, country club. There, there's, there, there's quite a bit of golf and, um, and sports here too, as well. We've got some great, um, some great local park and city um, folks. And then we, you know, we have every um, pro sport as well. So that's um, keeps us plenty busy here in just in Denver. How, um, how often are you doing seeding on, like say a, you, you're establishing this sod from plastic, you know, what type of a seed rate, let's say with bluegrass, are you going with, and are you finding a need to come back a second time to do another seeding on that or no? It can, uh, with the way that the wind blows out here, I kind of explained a little before we were on the show to Tanner that there is, um, there's not a whole lot between the front range of the mountains and Kansas to us. It's, um, it's pretty much a flat plain between here and there. So when the wind blows, um, it blows. So <laughs> there's definitely been some events where we get that stuff seeded. We get a top dress out there and, um, two days later, it's like, where did it go? Probably a few counties to the, to the east or to the west. Um, so yeah, there's definitely, there, there's more of those rarity um, weather events that come through and, and, and ask, ask for us to, to reseed or, or maybe go a different direction if things partially blew away. That's like our biggest, um, our biggest factor there in having to, to come in and, and reseed anything. Um, as far as the um, rates go, um, you know, it's kind of funny. I, I, I think of seed rates for bluegrass and I think, Oh, at least, you know, at least five pounds. If I'm, if I'm overseeding, um, or start, you know, establishing a new sports field, I'm, I'm at least there. And, um, really per thousand in our native fields, we're only at basically two pounds. Um, and, and we can turn those in 18 months, but it, on the plastic, um, we, we double that. We get a little closer to five pounds per thousand there. Um, if we get too carried away thinking, um, that it, you know, it's going to fill in faster. We just kind of deal with it at, um, at that year old to 18 month old mark where we've, um, we're really having to thin things back out truthfully, where we have an overpopulation if we get too high there on plastic. Um, cause it does, I mean, bluegrass just, it fills in so nicely, but boys, it's slow. So it's just a patience game there. And, you know, we will have holes that, um, you know, maybe we had a little bit of a low spot or irrigation had stuck on one spot for a few extra minutes and we'll have to go back in and, and um, even even sometimes once it's established, we'll go back in at that point and, and cut out, cut out a piece and, and put in a new piece there so that um, we can kind of keep things when it comes time for harvest, we're able to just keep piping our lines. And even with maintenance, too, it's 
um, it's something we definitely have to go in and repair it. It's, it's, it's far, far from a perfect, from a perfect process. Um, as far as the seed establishment goes, it's definitely, we're so susceptible to mother nature that we, we, yeah, we just try to hold on tight. Hopefully <laughs> once it's up though, it's like, whew, it's up and it's, um, yeah, becomes much easier, but those first couple of weeks, um, yeah, be challenging. So, so you're putting down a little bit of sand, then you're, then you're seeding, um, top dressing, um, letting it germinate. Um, how often then once that stuff is up and, and growing, how often are you, are you throwing some more sand on it or so, so, you know, adding to that profile, you said, you told us you'd like for that profile to be an inch and a half, two inches when you harvest at the end. Right. For football, for football, that thick, for sure. Um, three quarters of an inch to an inch, um, for regular thickness, you know, that kind of can take care of itself um, pretty naturally, which I found is, is it's pretty impressive. Just the thatch build up through that brief time, less than two years, how much really, how, how much really is, um, is built up there. And, and that's with um, probably 60 to 70% of all mowings being collected. Um, so very little clipping return in that. So it, it does thicken up naturally pretty quick as far as um, how much we're top dressing it. Then after that, a big, big factor in that it's just its end game if it's going to football um it's it's getting some sand top dressings for sure at that one year between the one year or, or eight month and year and a half mark um it's gonna we're gonna start thickening it up um it's, if we know that's where it's going now baseball soccer um there's really no reason for that to ever be that thick unless um we need a, a yeah some some small piece of replacement grass for somewhere um never or are we talking too, too crazy thick there? So that one inch marks really ideal. And um, yeah, if, if it's for, for football, we're, we're thickening it up before then. So, so joining us again today, just as a reminder, our guest today is Evan Fowler from Green Valley Turf in Platteville, Colorado, um, talking about sod on plastic. Um, and what, what a, um, what a topic to have to talk about. Um, when I look out my window, we still have snow on the ground, and I, I know that um, there's probably some snow in Denver too. But um, we have we have hopes of green grass coming soon. Us um, here too. We're we're itching. We're itching now. We we like a little bit of downtime to start the winter to catch our breath after a long season. But um, yeah, we're ready to start mowing grass again. When when you so when you're growing this sod on plastic and you have a lot of plot you have you have a lot of acreage and you're putting down a lot of sand sand has got it where are you getting the sand from not specific vendor per se sure, no no you know is it is it local i mean it's got to be a big expense if you're needing to truck this in yep no it's uh we we do that's and that's where um the final cost of this um that's really what makes it expensive uh importing that importing that sand it's uh it's not cheap we um, it is local, um, but it is, um, yeah, we're, we're very particular with that source. So it's, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're testing that spec, um, pretty, pretty consistently as we're, as we're receiving sand and then, um, we're staying on top of them then through, through the, through the years of, of growing it in and either top dressing more on top or, or, you know, adding more, more land with grass on plastic there, uh, that's a really, really important aspect to the game because if it's like, if there's if there's weed seed in there or there's poa in there, like if that's where it's coming from, um, 
it's a huge problem. So we, we got it. There's really only two sources for us that we have to worry the most about, and that's our seed and our sand. Um, I mean, our water too. Um, but that's, we can't control that quality as much as we just have to deal with it. So, um, yeah, sand, sand and seed quality are pretty much at the top of the list when it comes to, um, what we're sourcing there. So since water is such a, a good, uh, expensive commodity and valuable commodity, especially in sod production, you guys done anything with Bermuda grass? Definitely. We're, uh, we're starting to dabble the last few years. We've been keeping a close eye on some plots that we've had, some small plots that we've had, um, at both of our locations. And we are, um, we're really happy with what we're seeing. You know, the, the, the water pinch here is very real coming from the East where we're just trying to figure out how to drain it and get rid of it. Um, here we're figuring out where in the world, you know, where can we get more from? So, um, that's, that's going to be a big part, um, of the dry, uh, the dry climate here. And, and particularly the warmer climate here is just, we're seeing, we're seeing increases in our summer temps and our winters are seem last few years have just become more mild. Um, so yeah, our, our hope there is that that, uh, maybe not necessarily, um, out of Colorado for, for sports per se, in the, in the early idea of Bermuda here, we never know, but, um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely something that we're hoping gains some ground and traction with, uh, particularly with the amount of lack of water that it needs. For, for those of you that are listening to us, um, on the East coast, um, to give you some idea of the kind of water um, shortage there is in Colorado or, or in this instance on the farm in, in Platteville, they average about 11 inches of precipitation a year in Platteville where the farm that where Evans farm is. Um, we in Pennsylvania average, um, you know, what, 10 or 35, 40, 45, 50 inches of rain a year. Um, we, we, we have more, we have more rainfall in a storm, um, in the spring than they get an entire season out there. We had three inches total last year. It's in the driest years since 2012 was the last really bad drought. And prior to that was in the fifties. And this, this year smoked or this last year smoked 2012's numbers. So, um, is the, yeah, the future is, um, the future's drier. So we got to be adapt. We got, we got to adapt to that. And there's, there's definitely, um, a, a, yeah, the Bermuda is going to be a big part of that for sure. Where are you getting your water from? Um, so we have, we basically have, um, three, three different sources. Um, there's ditch companies are called, which is basically just systems of irrigation canals off of the river, um, that are all privately, the shares are all privately owned. Um, and, you can imagine there's just basically big headgate valves um, along a concrete um, ditch channel, and we're you know that that's monitored and, um, and and we're ordering shares if to understand that we're ordering shares of that water basically daily that we're using, and then we also have um, there, so there's two sources of that on the farm. We have a couple different ditch systems, and then um, and then we have well water as well that we're pumping from the ground. Um, predominantly, the surface runoff is where um, that ditch water. Um, is stored in reservoirs and lakes and then moved through those canals for us through the growing season. Um, but that's, that, that is our, that's our main water. And then um, we do supplement in that groundwater when needed. And mainly in the, in the peak summer times, the ditch can start to slow down as the, as um, the spring runoff slows down. So this, the snowpack truly um, in the winter time of sitting here looking at it snowing up in the mountains, that's what's going to be watering our grass. Um, 
come July. So that's, it's really important. We're getting it now, especially up high so that it can run down and we can, we can tap into in July, but that same runoff is, um, that's given all the Denver Metro water, uh, drinking water and everything too. So that's just, it's, there's, there's, it's not, um, yeah, it's not exclusively for us. So it's, it's definitely something when it gets scarce, um, we have ways to supplement, but it's definitely, um, can be a, a dry time. What is your, what are the, since you don't get the irrigation or we'll say the rainfall that we get here in the East, you know, humidity causes a lot of disease problems. Now, what, I guess, what are your biggest pest issues that you deal with out there, whether they be insects, weeds, diseases, you know, are you having to spray a whole lot? Um, Poa is our biggest enemy, truthfully. Um, we definitely have broadleaf weed pressure um, for sure, especially when we're establishing and turning over a lot of ground. Um, we, you know, we, we, we're definitely applying um, a decent amount of herbicides, particularly with seeding. Um, you know, we use a lot of pre-emergence there that kind of get us through that first month or so. And, what do um, you use at seeding? Uh, mesostrone, tenacity. Um, it's, it's something that it's certainly not the silver bullet. It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, kill it for us completely, but, um, that's, that's our main target, um, is POA. Now with that, obviously there's, yeah, there's some grassies and, and broadleafs that present themselves as they do pretty much everywhere, I guess. Um, but pests wise, other than that, um, the Japanese beetle just got out here not that long ago. So they're, you know, they monitor that around us. Um, we haven't, I've never had any insect damage necessarily, um, or haven't seen too, anything too crazy there. Um, the lack of humidity, essentially there's zero disease pressure except for on plastic, which is kind of unique to that stuff being so thin. Um, you know, in the summer it has to stay a little more wet. So we can definitely see some things there because of, um, just the extended hours of, of moisture, but, um, that's kind of self-inflicted just because we have to keep it wet. There's really, um, naturally in our native soil, not a ton of disease pressure there either. Um, I've seen a, a blip of rust here and there. I've seen a blip of fairy ring in some mountain church areas, but um, outside of that, that's basically um, what makes it so great. I mean, yeah, there, no humidity and uh, sunshine, basically 350 days out of the year where yeah, bluegrass is pretty happy. Primarily granular fertilization. Um, primarily granular once established, we do do a lot of fertigation in the establishment period. Um, we have, we have in ground, we have about 350 acres of in-ground irrigation, just traditional laterals, um, with impact heads. And then we also have a few, um, full irrigation pivots as well. So, um, through both of those systems, we're able to pump fertigation through, um, through those lines and through the pivots, which is a, which is a huge help, um, in those early days, especially in native, it just can be, um, so wet all the time with the lack of humidity, we really are watering, um, a lot during, during that establishment period. And, um, it can just be, it can be too much to get in there and, uh, and spread anything or spray anything. So we're, we're always trying to feed early on through that water system. It's been a big, it's been something that, um, to me personally, my background didn't have a ton of just in, in pretty much exclusively sports, sports turf. Um, it's been a great learning, learning curve as far as nutrition goes. Great. Again, Evan, it's uh, it's been great having you on the show. Um, Tanner, I think we're about out of time here, aren't we, um, today? Yeah. And um, about ready to uh, see if we can strike Evan out here with our, our favorite end of the show, um, three strikes and you're out, questions for the day. 
Um, Evan, I'm going to throw you a couple lob balls, and then I I might I might throw a fast one at you. Um, you know, I could never hit change up. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so um, first one is, what is your favorite sporting venue to watch an event in? Oh, all sports. Um, all sports. Everything sports. It's really tough to say one there. Wow, I'm a big golf fan. I love Augusta. I love the Wimbledon aspect of natural grassy and that in some other ways. Um, baseball though, I'd say I gotta, I gotta call out my stadium. I was employed at for a coffin stadium in Kansas city is truly one of my favorites toured most of the, the stadiums in baseball. And, um, man, I really do love that one. So I'll, I'll, I'll say that. All right. So we have Kauffman stadium. Um, if you had to play a round of golf, and only put three clubs in your bag, what would those three clubs be? Drive for show. So we got the big stick. Um, oh, probably a seven iron and a putter. Same thing our last guess. No, our last one said a three wood. Three wood. Ah, that's a good, actually, if I could change, I'd probably pull a three Too wood. Bad. Driver off the you're, deck's no good. Okay, fair enough. Too, too bad you're taking the driver with you. And then the third one is a real big lob ball for you. Um, your, your, your favorite memory um, in, in all of sports. Um, that's a slam dunk there. Uh, probably, what was it? And you can maybe correct me if I'm wrong. Was I three years old? My first Little League World Series on the grounds crew. Um out there with grandfather, dad, um, learning how to pack mountain clay for the first time in sports for history for me, looking back, I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved, I love playing a lot of, a lot of them. Um, but man, that, uh, that was truly my, my come up in sports was in groundskeeping. So yeah, I'll take it back to those first moments. <clears throat> that is early moments, early <laughs> moments. So uh, Evan, again, thanks for being with us today on Fresh Cut Grass. Um, Tanner, do you have anything to close us out with? No, that was a, that was a really good discussion. Learned a lot about, about growing on plastic, for sure. Absolutely. Um, so, well, thank you guys for having me. It's been great. So I will remind our listeners, um, if you have questions or have topics that you would like for us to um, address, um, you can reach us at our email address, and that's freshcutgrass at psu.edu. Um, you can throw in a topic that you want us to talk about, or if you have specific questions that you want us to address on the show, um, we'll, we'll take a look at those and, and get you into an episode. With that, I think we're going to um, call it a day. And again, Evan, thanks a bunch for being here. Tanner, um, always a pleasure to have you on the show. And Listeners, we'll look forward to having you again next time.